Good morning, and welcome to this edition of Advice Worth Keeping, KPMG's podcast series where we interview firm executives and thought leaders, as well as third-party industry luminaries and experts on important global business trends, topics, and leading practices. My name is Stan LaPique, and I lead global research for KPMG's Management Consulting Services Group. So I'm pleased to have back with us again here today on the Advice Worth Keeping podcast series, Mr. David Kirk. David is a managing director. He's part of a U.S. firm. He's a member of the Shared Services and Outsourcing Advisory Group, and he's one of our resident experts on bots and process automation. So what we're here to talk about today is as organizations adopt more digital labor, as they deploy more dots, how do you really govern that? So we've heard a lot of great things in the market about the benefits of process automation, whether that's robotics process automation or cognitive automation. But where I think we're lacking a little bit is some practical advice. What does that mean from the standpoint of how do you govern these initiatives? And that could be governing from the standpoint of deployment of these technologies, but it also could be governance from the standpoint of managing a workforce that increasingly may not be fully human. Mr. Kirk, thank you very much for joining us here again today on this podcast. Well, thanks, Dan. It's great to be here. I think this is an important topic. We've been working on developing the the centralization and governance model for digital labor for several years now. It's really great to get the message out. So maybe to start out with, obviously, there's great opportunities organizations have. And we've done all sorts of research, and you're obviously in the field every day with clients talking to them about this. So there's great opportunities for cost reduction, also great opportunities for getting more efficient processes, things that are more automated tend to work well. You eliminate the element of human error. But what are your thoughts on, based on your client experiences, are organizations running a little too fast with this without being prepared to figure out how to manage it? So there's great potential benefits, but are are some firms getting ahead of themselves in their aggressiveness to adopt these sets of technologies? Kind of a double-edged sword. Digital labor, in particular robotics process automation, the, the tremendous benefit of it is its simplicity and the ability for businesses to grab hold of this and just run and achieve tremendous results very fast with minimal effort. These tools typically run at a user level. They don't require any kind of deep integration into the environment, and they can even run on a desktop. So that allows an entity to go off and just say, hey, this is great. I'll drop this on the desktop. Weeks later, they're seeing the benefits, so they just keep running. And they don't stop and think about long-term. Well, how am I going to govern this? How do I handle change? And the next thing they're down the path, they've developed hundreds of bots across the organization, but there's no centralized management of those bots. That's the risk. So it's, it's tremendous from the perspective that you can get in easily, but there in itself is the danger of these things just expanding across the enterprise, being adopted by different business units, and there's absolutely completely disjointed. I don't think dissimilar from what we've seen with other technology innovations in the past. I can think back a few years where every department, every company, business unit was putting up websites and doing e-commerce. And also, I think, relative to the use of third-party services, you had a lot of individual business units or functions or going out and establishing third-party relationships with outsourcers without an approach to really understand how to get economies of scale, but how to really manage that. So when it comes to digital labor, digital automation, what do you think is the best approach to balance 
control and speed. So speed is good. It's good to take advantage of these technologies and these opportunities, but there's also a need to make sure that you're not building a monster that's going to be very difficult to control long-term. What are the different models that organizations should look at to maybe not slow down too much, but maybe not to get too far ahead of themselves? Dan, I would say you hit the nail on the head. It is a balancing act of control and speed. You don't want so much control that you literally can't move. It becomes an ERP implementation. The next thing you know, it's bottled down for years. That's not what you're looking for. That defeats the benefits and the simplicity of RPA. At the same time, you absolutely need to control around the environment. And our approach is essentially to provide that governance and that oversight through some level of centralization across the enterprise. And with the technology, there's always risk. There's information security risk. There's a risk of, hey, what happens tomorrow when this isn't working? How am I handling that? If it's a mission-critical process that's being executed, I need to understand that risk. So I need to establish a corporate enterprise-wide approach to handling risk. So what we advocate strongly is, at least from the very get-go, to have some vision of how you want to centralize this across the enterprise. It's not just one model. We actually carve the market into three separate centralization models. And very commonly here across the industry, everyone refers to it as a center of excellence. We acknowledge that, but at the same time, we do try and distinguish it's not a one-size-fits-all. There really are different models. And so maybe we spend a second talking about the three models that we help coach clients understand all provide you the benefits of centralization, but they are inherently different. One of those models we refer to as a shared services model. All right, now this is the model stand where everything is centralized. Everything I'm doing from an assessment of a process, building, running, monitoring, documenting, my best practices, all the governance, all centralized. And every one of these models has pluses and minuses. So what's the plus to that one? Well, the huge plus to that is it's very easy to govern because everything's centralized. So I have my best practices, I have my tools and templates and standards, I've got a one approach to the technology. It doesn't mean I only have one technology, but I have a standard approach to that. So I may have several tools, but they're deployed across the entire enterprise the same way. I have one strategy. The drawback to this model, Stan, is as the businesses are competing for resources, I have only one place I can do delivery at. I want a process to set to say, hey, can this be automated? I have to come to the pipeline. I'm in the pipe and I'm in the queue. So I need to manage those priorities and the resources underneath that that are building my bots. And, and that tends to be the challenge with the shared services model is just keeping everybody happy and feeling like their process is moving through the pipe. On the flip side of the spectrum is what we call the COE model. This is truly what we would define as a COE, where the best practices are centralized. So I have standard tools and templates and governance of the entire process, and the runtime environment is all centralized, but the businesses are off doing their own thing. So they have skills at a certain level that can go out and assess processes, build the associated bots, and even run and monitor them in their individual business units. So they come to the center for the methodologies, the guidelines, the tools, but they're doing everything else off on their own. What's the obvious advantage of this one? The obvious advantage to this one is they can run as fast as they want. Their pipeline is a pipeline unique to their business line. So they're not competing with business line two and three and four for resources. They can go out, assess processes, and build processes at their own speed. And that's the tremendous benefit to that approach. But the drawback is it's clearly harder to manage and govern because now you have the business units, they have a certain level of expertise, they feel like they don't need the centralized model, 
And so they can go off and do their own thing their own way. Well, that becomes the governance problem. And are they managing risk and the agreed to process and guidelines and controls in, in align with the corporate risk appetite? And then the other problem with that model, Stan, is it leads to duplication of cost and tools and resources. And the, the utilization of those resources in individual business lines are probably not going to be as good as a centralized model. So the third model is a hybrid model. So it's got a little bit of both of those other two models. So in this model, I have a centralized organization that does all my best practices, all my governance. At the same time, it also has the business services. So this is the pieces that go out and work with the businesses to assess processes and build the code and monitor the running bots, et cetera, et cetera, right? Do the change management so the bots don't break as the environment changes. And so that's in the centralized model to use if you like. And then as a business unit, you are allowed to have whatever level of the business service capabilities you A, want or are capable of having. So if you want to have, hey, look, I can do my own assessments, I can build my own bots, I can run my own bots and monitor them and maintain them, that's fine. If you want to have none and you want to just completely go to the center for everything, you can do that as well. And those are the two extremes. You may have some amount we say, look, I know enough about digital labor that I can assess my processes but I don't want to build a run. So I'm going to use the center for that. And that's why we call it a hybrid model. And the reason, Stan, that we think most organizations will eventually either start here or get here is because it really allows all the business units to kind of run at their own speed. If I have, over the years, become very well-versed in digital labor, I've got people that I consider experts, then guess what? I can have that entire piece in my business unit and just turn to the center for, like, I want to follow the corporate risk guidelines, and yes, I know this has to be governed, and that's what I would turn to the center for, but nothing more. And at the same time, if I'm a business unit that says, look, I just can't take that on. That's not my core competencies. I want to be able to get the benefits, but I don't want to have a digital labor task force within my business unit. Then they can turn to the center and get whatever resources they want at the center. And if you start on either model, I think there's a story for how you're going to migrate into the hybrid one way or another. Let's take an example of that. I think this makes it clear as to why we think you'll get there. Let's start in a model where everything's shared services. I've got all my business units that have no digital labor capability whatsoever, and they start working with the center of excellence to build out digital labor automation. And so they're participating in workshops. We go through processes, and we assess the process, and we identify, oh, well, here's the part that can be automated, and here's the parts that would, should remain human, et cetera, et cetera. Here's the triggers that we'll use to start it. They will naturally get educated in the process. They'll sit through two or three workshops and say, I can do that. I'm just looking at my process and saying, okay, that piece can be automated. This piece can't. I know what makes a part automatable, if I can use that word. And so they naturally start building skills in the business unit. What's that mean? I don't need to turn to the center anymore to, to do an assessment of process. I can do that. And so it continues to evolve that way, and all of a sudden you see the expertise in the business unit start to grow for those business units that are actively involved. And that's why all of a sudden now you go from shared services and you already start pushing towards the hybrid. And you can make a similar case exactly the same way for the center of excellence model and why they tend to end up in a hybrid, which kind of like keeps all parties happy, if you will. And again, the, the advantage of that hybrid is it's, it allows the businesses to run as fast as they want as long as they have the appetite for the amount of work they're going to pull into their business unit on their own. So I think you've indicated what you as the resident expert and as what KPMG thinks is the optimal model. Obviously, organizations will have to make their own decision. But So if we look at the ultimate enterprise benefits of process automation, our research shows a lot of firms talk about great 
strategic benefits, but then they kind of digress back to this will enable us to fire some people and save some money, which is the same story with shared services and with outsourcing. What would your advice be to organizations, regardless of the models they partake upon, but particularly if they partake upon the third model, what are some of the key benefits they should be seeking to not make this just be a tactical exercise, but to be something that certainly saving money is good, but also can deliver more strategic benefits? What should organizations put on their checklist of things that they should want to achieve? Let's maybe take that from a couple of different angles. Digital labor automation, RPA, whichever term you want to use, is not always and not exclusively about saving money. There are several, and I think in my paper I laid out six, seven other benefits, including quality, consistency, auditability, all these things that you gain by having a bot do a piece of work as opposed to a human. The simple fact that every time it does that same task, it's going to do it exactly the same. It doesn't matter what day of the week, what time it is, they don't get tired. And so there's a lot of benefits. Several of them are about end user satisfaction. Hey, I'm going to do this for the end users so they don't have to. It didn't save the organization any money. It gave them a much happier customer. So from the perspective of automation, my first comment is, hey, it's a, you know, digital labor in general is about a lot more than just cost savings. But in the same way, when it comes to centralization, it's about a lot more than just, okay, I need to govern that. I mean, so take the cost piece. If I have every business unit off doing their own thing and there's nothing centralized, we'll likely have five business units. Good chance we'll have five different tools. And that's only part of the problem. Now I'm going to take those five tools and I'm going to implement them different in every organization. So in one case, they're sitting on a desktop. Someplace else, they're in the cloud. In another place, they're on a virtual server. So now I've got five different architectural approaches. Well, guess what? Every one of those has a different type of security risk. So rather than have a unified approach that deals with that, now I've got everything across the board that I can think of and no management that's consistent, no policies, no guidelines that I can leverage to say, hey, are we safe? There's a whole risk piece. But from a cost piece, I'm also buying five types of tools. I'm training people on five types of tools. So I've got way more spend than I need to have. And it's harder to maintain. Again, I'm trying to keep up to date on five different tools. So from a cost perspective, it's not good. From a risk perspective, it's clearly not good. Now, best practices, you know, as you build bots, very quickly you start learning lessons. Anyone will tell you, better you should share those lessons across an entire enterprise than with just a business unit. Because odds are each business unit is learning that lesson the hard way. And so now they're going to repeat that painful lesson every single time. Five business units, I'm learning that same lesson five times. Clearly, you want to start leveraging best practices and lessons learned across the entire enterprise. Another tremendous advantage of centralization is just the flexibility around resources and scalability. If I have every business unit, like all of a sudden, oh, you know, I, I got to go do this. I have to automate this. They all go off and hire a bunch of resources. The odds of them being able to keep those resources utilized are pretty slim. You know, your opportunities for automation, like anything else, are going to go up, they're going to go down, you're going to see something, you're going to go automate it, then you're going to be like in a lull. If you centralize it, there's an ebb and flow between the resources and keeping those resources between the business. So if business unit one is slow at that time, the resources get dedicated to three and four. Like cloud, multi-tenant cloud, that's the whole principle behind it. It's the same kind of idea. So when I centralize, I have much more flexibility and scalability. One of the big things about centralization is I think it does a great job of empowering the business. And I kind of mentioned this earlier when I said each business unit can run as fast as they want. If I really want to get into digital labor, and I don't have anything centralized, then my only opportunity for doing that is to go off and train and hire or find third parties to do it all for me 
in order to actually start leveraging this great hot topic that I've seen in so much in the market. Whereas if I've centralized this, now I can reach out there and say, hey, look, I need you guys to do this for me. I hear I have opportunities. Come in and help me do that. And it's that empowering the business through centralization that is one of the most significant benefits of centralizing the actual delivery and governing of digital labor. David, maybe to wrap up, what are some of the key things you think our listeners should be doing? What are some of the tips for success? So you've clearly highlighted the benefits of centralization, which is often easier said than done if you have a lot of renegade business units or parts of the organization that want to go off and initiate things on their own. And we've seen this time and again with software. Maybe to wrap up, what do you think are the maybe two or three key tips for success our listeners should take away? The first thing I'd say, Stan, is, is a message we try and deliver to our clients, which is we talk about centralizing. Again, we're not trying to create a mountain to enter into the game. You know, have a plan. You don't immediately have to have a full centralization plan in place, but have a vision for where it's going to go. If this is successful, what's my next step? And even if you start laying out that plan for, okay, let's take a look at this, and as it expands across the enterprise, how am I going to deploy this? it's important to recognize that today's model might not be the best answer tomorrow. And that's the point I make about there's nothing wrong in starting and saying, look, our vision for doing this is to build a shared services model. Well, that shouldn't be locked in stone. There should be a plan right off the bat that acknowledges this is good for today, but how do I want to be flexible enough to think maybe I'll end up with the hybrid model? So put that plan in place in advance so you're not running into unnecessary resistance. Plus, as you design it, you can design it for that possible end goal. While we are big advocates for centralizing, we, our message would be build a plan but have flexibility built into that plan so you can evolve. I think that's one of the important lessons. Another lesson I'd say would be kind of like around the best practices and, and lessons learned. You know, we talked about that earlier. It's important as you start deploying these automations, these bots, to start building standard approaches. And we see this even at the coding level. These bots look like users. So when they log into systems, guess what? They have user IDs and passwords. Well, it's probably a pretty good corporate standard not to hard code those user IDs and passwords into the bot. So let's figure out exactly how we're going to to handle that information security and access control capability because the bots need them. We absolutely believe in very quickly starting to identify standards, not just at coding level, documentation. That'll take me to the next key lesson learned. We've talked to clients and who have started this journey on their own, and they'll cite a problem. Hey, you know, yeah, we built all these bots, and then a couple of them broke. And we were scratching our heads because we weren't really quite sure what they used to do, what the task used to look like. Before you set up on this journey, we advocate very strongly that the process you're looking at needs to be documented in current state. So what does the current manual process look like? And we document that in extreme detail. And then in a similar fashion, okay, now let's take a step forward. Now we've automated. What's it look like now? And so we're big advocates for documenting both of these. Because for one thing, Stan, if that bot three weeks from now, then more so a half a year or a year from now, doesn't function for some reason, a fallback position is to pull out the, the process for how it used to be run and said, okay, let's do this manually. Not everyone's going to be there two years from now, three years from now that was involved in the automation of this process, and you don't want to lose that knowledge. So documentation is one of these things that may seem painful and onerous at the beginning, but can pay off in risk reduction in huge amounts down the line. I think those are three of the key lessons learned. We have a couple dozen of them, but those are like the top three that come to mind. 
No, I think very good top three, David. And I think some of this is just remembering things people have learned from past implementations of new technologies, such as document what you're doing and remember that as you go forward and have people with the domain knowledge to be able to handle changes that come forward in the future. So great advice. As you said, you have many more points of interest on this. If I'm not mistaken, there's a paper you've written that's associated with this podcast. So those of you who access the podcast from the KPMG site, certainly take a look at this. If you came to us from iTunes, hop over to the KPMG site, you can get David's full paper. But again, as usual, if you have any further questions on this, certainly feel free to reach out. We recognize this is a huge topic. It's very fast moving. But David, I think you've given us some very good advice on how organizations organizations need to channel their enthusiasm accordingly, but also put a little bit of structure around it. Thank you for your time here today. And you can find the links to the items you referenced in the show today below the podcast. If you're online, of course, the URL for that is kpmg.com slash US slash podcast. That's a wrap. Thanks for your participation. 